Welcome to this pop-up podcast series, Magic and Mayhem, Discover the Secrets to Creating Magnificent Books for Kids and Teens. And I hope that this podcast series has been able to give you some inspiration and insight into that process. Magic and Mayhem is a free podcast and ebook series brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre. And if you're interested in writing for kids and teens, join us on a journey that's set to inspire you and enhance your own writing skills. All you need to do is download your free ebook called Magic and Mayhem at magicandmayhem.com.au. You'll find a lot of awesome stuff in there. My name's Valerie Koo. I'm founder of the Australian Writers' Centre. And this episode, we're talking to Emily Gale. Emily has been involved in the children's book industry for nearly 20 years, working as an editor, consultant, reviewer, and book buyer. She published her first book in 2009 and now has two junior fiction and four young adult novels to her name. Her latest book is I Am Out With Lanterns. In this interview, Emily chats with Alison Tate from the Australian Writers' Centre about her path to publishing, which has been varied and interesting to say the least. And Emily and Alison could be twins with their procrasty pups. I like how Emily is really open and honest about her publishing journey. It's not all champagne and roses, that's for sure. Every writer meets bumps along the way, but also a lot of highs. And even someone who knows the industry as well as Emily does can have ups and downs. Are you interested in writing for kids and teens like Emily? Many of us have great book ideas for older children but aren't sure where to start. That's why the course How to Write for Children and Young Adults is a fantastic place to begin. You'll discover what age group your story is best suited for. It might not be the one you think. What publishers are looking for, how to structure a compelling narrative and so much more. It's jam-packed with information and fiction techniques to support you each step of the way. So check it out at writercentercomau slash children's author. That's writercentercomau slash children's author. And now let's have a listen to Emily. Emily Gale has been involved in the children's book industry for nearly 20 years. In the UK, she worked as an editor for Penguin and Egmont, and later as a freelance manuscript consultant and preschool book writer. In Australia, she has worked with literary agent Sheila Drummond, finding new children's and YA authors. She has reviewed for bookseller and publisher, been a judge for the Victorian Premier's Literary Awards, YA category, and spent several happy years at independent bookshop readings as a children's buyer, during which time she was instrumental in establishing the Readings Children's Book Prize. Emily writes for children and young adults. Her latest book, The Other Side of Summer, was released in Australia in June 2016 and has just come out in the US. Welcome to the program, Emily. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for that lovely introduction that I just took straight off Emily's website for all those who are listening. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it sounds nice when you read it. Uh, It's much better than having to write it yourself and... uh, listen to your own voice reading it. Oh, yeah. So everything always sounds much better when someone else, you know, writes it for you and reads it for you. It's lovely. All right. So let's go back to the beginning. How did you start out in the children's book industry? Um, Very slightly by accident. Um, I left university. I was living in London. I desperately needed a job. And I saw this advertisement for editorial assistant at Penguin Books, um, in particular with their Frederick Warren imprint which is the imprint that um, publishes Peter Rabbit oh. and I thought oh I know Peter Rabbit I'll, uh, <laughs> I, can do that. I had a very young uh, brother and sister as well so it was still fresh in my mind so I applied for that and got it mm-hmm. I wrote them a rather creative letter 
um, to apply for the job. Um, and so that's how it all began, really. It And it seems like it was such a natural thing now, looking back, but it, it wasn't really on purpose. I just really needed a job. <laughs> <laughs> There's all these people out there who would really love a job like that, who are just gnashing their teeth going, oh, right, can you tell me exactly what that creative letter involved? <laughs> it was very silly, but I did think, oh, you know, I'll I'll just go out on a limb here and I'll I'll put some of the Peter Rabbit characters in my covering letter mm. <laughs> and be a bit cheeky. Mm. And um, it seemed to work. Luckily, uh, my boss had this, a similar sense of humour. <laughs> and were you, at, at this stage of your life, were you thinking I might write children's books one day or was that like not at all? No, no I was definitely thinking I want to write books one day. Right. And I had been thinking that since... I can remember having a thought, right. um, but it didn't seem very realistic, to be honest, um, <laughs> living in London and having to pay rent and it just didn't seem realistic to be a writer. I mean, how did you even begin? How do you begin to be a writer when, you know, <laughs> you you have uh, bills to pay? Um, so, but I thought, well, if at least if I'm near books, that will feel <laughs> quite, quite good. Right. <laughs> So it was a very, it was a long road, but that was the start of it. And did it like? Did you find editing other people's books and sort of working in that area? Did you find it inspiring, as far as you know, inspiring you to to write your own? Or what? I mean, what made you sit down and actually go? Well, you know, maybe I'll, I will have a crack at this. Um, well, the first couple of years at Penguin were really about learning about the publishing industry. Um, I, I mean, I wasn't working with authors at that point because, um, I, you know, I was, I was making up Peter Rabbit books and spot books and flower fairies and that, and all that sort of thing, um, which was fantastic from a creative point of view for a certain time. And then, I mean, once you've written 15 Peter Rabbit books, you, you need to, um, maybe do something else. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so it wasn't until a little later that I was actually working with authors and then that's doing that made me realize that although I was getting a lot out of editing I was always thinking about when will it be me when will it be my words you know when am I going to get around to it but it's very difficult when you're doing quite well in one particular part of the industry to then think to yourself oh I know I'll, I'll leave this now and jump into the huge unknown of you know, writing my own books. Um, so, but I did do that eventually. After so you yeah. actually left to write your own novel, your own first novel, or did you start it? Yes, while I, you were well, there, I left. Or? I left to go freelance, right. and so I knew I was going to be getting some, still getting lots of editorial work. Yeah. Um, and then because I'd made quite a few contacts, uh, I ended up getting um, lots of sort of preschool commissions to write for Ladybird and and that sort of thing. Um, so, so that was good, and then it, and then it meant that I did have more time and more more mental space really to start um, to start writing my own fiction. All right. So your first YA novel, Girl Aloud, was published in two thousand and nine. How did how did that come about? Um, <laughs> it came about first of all. I decided to do Nano Rimo. Mm. Yeah, I'm a big fan. <laughs> I'm a big fan. Good. Um, so I, I failed at my at yes. NaNoWriMo. Oh, I, I got to um, I got to I think maybe thirty five thousand words in in the month, mm. 
Um, and then I I stopped doing that, and about a week later had a baby. Oh. And then, <laughs> and then, Press the pause button. Um, and then I thought, right, I'm going to wait eight weeks, and then I'm going to write 500 words a day, and I'm going to finish this book. Right. Uh, so that that was how that book got finished. So it did happen. You actually did it. It did. It did happen. Wow. Um, and then um, I rewrote it a couple of times, and then I try to find an agent. Mm-hmm. Funnily enough, that was I'd already had an agent. Right. <laughs> and lost one by that point. Um which is a sort of <laughs> sounds very careless of you, Emily. Of how extremely long and winding the road has been. Mm-hmm. Um but anyway, I did get this this agent in London, um Louise Burns, and she sold Girl Aloud. It wasn't called that at the time. Um she sold the book to Chicken House. Right. And I was thought, there oh, champagne? it's going to be everything now. This is going to be a huge success. And, and uh, yes. And then I moved to Australia. Which <laughs> <laughs> is not a very good idea when your book is being published on one side of the world. It's a t- terrible idea to leave that side of the world and right. go and live somewhere else. Right. So um, what, what happened with Girl Aloud? Was it, was it a huge success? I mean, you know, what did it... Did it um, lead to another book straight away? Like, what what was the next step in the journey at that point? No, it wasn't. It wasn't a huge success. Um, to a certain extent, I felt a little bit divorced from the whole process, um, and the publisher um, made some decisions that I didn't really agree with, and that made me feel even more sort of separate from the book. I'm. Um, it was very sad to say. Um, and then the fact that I was on the other side of the world made it impossible for me to do any of the things uh, that helped to make a book successful. Um, yeah, so I, I didn't feel very connected to it. Uh, they did ask me to write another book. Um, and I tried to sort of second guess it and write something quite similar, mm. um, which was not really what I wanted to do creatively. But I thought I'd, I'd better um, and then they didn't want to publish that book. Oh. So I'd written a whole manuscript because I thought they wanted that sort of book and it ended up that they didn't. <laughs> so <laughs> that was a big lesson for me. Wow. To always write the book that you want to write and not the book that you think somebody wants you to write. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, but by then I'd, you know, I'd already picked myself up and dusted myself off a couple of times. So, uh, so I just started a new book. Okay. And did that book become your second published novel? Yes, it did. That was still my sunshine. And um, and I managed to convince Random House to buy that one, which was um, the start of a, a good relationship with them over here, which was wonderful. Fantastic. All right. So tell us about The Other Side of Summer, which is your latest book, um, which, of course, has just recently come out in the US as well. What What was the inspiration for that book and how did that one come to be published? Um, well, as I've mentioned, I, I did move over to Melbourne from London nearly 10 years ago, and it's affected me very profoundly, and this, the ongoing homesickness has affected me very profoundly. And so I always knew that I wanted to write uh, um, something about that sort of sense of homesickness, uh, but I didn't want to write memoir. I didn't really want to write about a woman of my age doing it. And I just thought, wouldn't it be wonderful to write about a young girl who is on the precipice of, you know, being a teenager, 
but is also at that point taken out of where she belongs and put somewhere completely new. Mm. Thought that would be a good way of telling the story and much more, much more interesting for me to think about it happening to a child rather than that rather than myself and I knew I could use a lot of what I already knew about moving over um, but I could also escape into an imaginary world um, and make it a bit more special and magical mm. Mm. So that's what was it an easy write the book like did it like given that you know you had such strong feelings about it did that make it sort of flow flow from you so to speak or was it more difficult because you probably had quite a lot of feeling invested in it um, no, I, I had to be very sort of raw and raw and honest, um, but I found that cathartic, and um, I knew that I was onto something because I felt very emotional every time I read the book back, mm. and I thought, I think people are going to get that this is a really heartfelt story. I think that's, I think that's going to come across. Mm. Um, and and it and it has it has come across, which is um, exactly what I wanted, and and that's wonderful. I've had more of a response to this book than to any previous book, so so that feels good because it it feels like it was worth sort of plunging into my emotions to to create it. Because it's not easy to put your heart on a page like that, is it? And and I think that when you do that, I think that's when it really does. As you say, you need to write the book that you really want to write don't you and it's that Mm. those are the ones that tend to resonate the most with other people as well yes it's definitely true it's difficult though because everything hurts more as well (laughs) um you know when when somebody doesn't like this book it feels extremely personal Mm. um and yeah it it cuts deeper um but then the responses that are positive are so much better uh, because you know that you've done something completely honest and um, you've given your whole self to the book. Um, yeah. And did your publisher respond to this one straight away as well? Like, was it immediately, we love this? Or was it, yes, eh, you it know, was. it's okay, but you might want to rework the middle? <laughs> <laughs> I had worked on it really hard before sending it to them. Right. So they didn't they didn't get the, the dodgy first draft. Um, and I'd had a couple of really trusted authors um, look over it as well. And so so I had worked hard before I gave it to them. Okay. I so wanted it to be right. Um, but yes, they, they responded straight away and very positively. And I just thought, oh, my goodness, I've, I've actually done it. <laughs> so so w- what's your writing process? Are you a person who plans everything out in advance or are you someone who just sort of sits down and writes? Like are you, are you on a sort of certain number of words a day or how do you, how do you actually get your manuscript together? Um, no, I never learn from lack of planning. <laughs> I continue <laughs> to, to not plan. <laughs> um, no, I, I always, I mean, I always start from character and so I, I do spend a lot of time writing words that are never going to be in the finished manuscript, but that are me getting to know my main character. Um, And that's fine. I I think when I started out, I thought, you know, I can't write all these words and not use them. I can't just put them in the trash. But now I just accept that as part of the process. And um, and I don't mind that at all. Um, I usually don't really know what I'm writing about until I get to about halfway into the novel, the first draft, um, and then of course it, that means I have to go back and, you know, 
write it all again. Fix the, <laughs> fix the first time. <laughs> Um, oh, I am so relating to yeah. you right now. <laughs> so I do, I respond very well to those kinds of NaNoWriMo challenges. Um, I I do respond well to uh, setting myself goals. Um, not necessarily, a, I mean, I don't write a novel in a month anymore. Mm. Um, but I do, I mean, I line up um, chocolate eggs and I say to myself you cannot eat one unless you've written 500 words <laughs> like it's really it's not very sophisticated over here <laughs> there's a Pavlovian kind of response going on here I feel oh, it works oh, dear. now you actually worked with a songwriter to create a song for the novel didn't you what, what why did you do that like how did that come about um, well, I've known Tim Tim Reed for years. He's actually my partner's best friend from high school, and um, I've I've just always loved his music. I think he is such a gorgeous, sensitive songwriter. And I jokingly said to him, when you know, way before I'd even finished the manuscript, um, oh, it's about a girl who's learning to play the guitar. Wouldn't it be fun if we wrote a song for the book? And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that'd be fun. And then I thought, well, you know, why not? I really wanted to see what we could come up with. I just thought it would be gorgeous, and I thought it would be a bit different. And, and so he was up for it, so, so, so we did it. Fantastic. Yeah. So it's actually on the website, isn't it, if anybody wants to have a, a listen to the song on yeah, your website? Yeah, yeah, um, and and he's written all the the actual music out, the guitar chords and everything. I mean, he he's he's so great. He's very very patient, and he teaches kids to play as well. And he's just a beautiful soul. So it was it was lovely to work with him. And did you write the lyrics then for the actual song? No, we um he put them together, and then we worked on them back and forth. Um, yeah, he read the book, and then he he came up with some lyrics and then we worked on those together and did you find yeah. the songwriting process interesting from the perspective of you know it's obviously quite different to writing and it, like he, you're trying to encapsulate the whole book aren't you in in a in a sort of you know three minute song which is quite yeah. a different process to writing the sixty-five thousand or whatever it was words that you wrote initially so how did you how did you find that process of trying to capture the essence of the book in a song I, well I think that Tim captured it mm. and then I sort of fiddled with it so I feel more like I was the editor of the song <laughs> <laughs> and he he came up with the goods the and then editor I of the song yeah it's a glamorous <laughs> title isn't it <laughs> yeah I think he 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 came up with the essence he okay. got it great um yeah I mean if I'd started from nothing I just I mean I would have come up with a basic nursery rhyme it would have been terrible <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah um but he he did a great job. Yeah. All right, so the book is now out in the US, which is very exciting. Yay! Um, available, I'm assuming, in all the places. Yes, in all. Well, hopefully, hopefully. I can't really go over and check. Unfortunately, oh, that's very but I believe it is. Yeah. And are you doing anything special, you know, from your end to sort of promote it? Like, is there anything that you're doing or that you feel you can do to actually promote the book in the US from here? Not nothing special, I wouldn't say. I mean, I'm. I own all the usual sort of social media and I do spend time um, trying to um, reach out to new readers 
via those means. Um, but but no, I'm sort of back in my cave and working on another book and trusting that HarperCollins are looking after the other side of summer over there. Fingers crossed. Um, yeah, I think so. They've done a, such a beautiful job on the book and they've got a couple of really lovely trade reviews for it as well. So I'm hoping that that's a good start. Yeah. And uh, Yeah. Because you are quite active on social media uh just in general, aren't you? I, I see you regularly on Instagram. I see you on Twitter. Um, yes. I, do you feel that that's an important part of the job of being an author? Um, it's really difficult because I think the balance is so hard to achieve. Mm. Um, and it's really hard. It's actually hard to know if what you're doing is paying off mm. to any sort of significant um, extent. But I, I really, really enjoy... Instagram particularly um you know there there are some parts of social media that make me feel really terrible at the end of the day Mm. um and I think lots of writers feel that way um but Instagram never makes me feel bad it always makes me feel really good (laughs) so Instagram is your happy place that is my happy place yeah and what is your handle on Instagram if people want to have a look for you Oh, God, that is a good question. It's only Gail Books, et cetera. You know when you just never know your own phone number because you never call yourself? Yeah, that's true. That's yeah. very true. I should probably know that. No, it's Emily Gail Books, et cetera. Okay, terrific. Um, yeah, so. Now, you are someone who's worked in a, all the facets of children's books, really. Like you've done publishing and editing. Right. You've been an agent. You've reviewed. You've judged. You've worked as a bookseller. Does that make writing novels, like, easier or more difficult? Like, did you, do you have a, do you have that, do you bring that sense of what sells to the actual, to the process or do you try to forget all that stuff when you're doing your own work? I think, unfortunately, you do sort of forget when you are writing. (laughs) You know the way you just forget everything that's of any value and logic Mm. when you're actually sitting in front of a manuscript tearing your hair out. And then when you sort of walk away from it, you think, oh no, I, you know, I can do this, I can do this. That's a little bit what it's like. But I think um, I think probably the most useful part for me was being a children's book buyer at readings. Mm, well, I was going to ask you about that. What yeah. do you think that you – what did you learn from that? Like how has that influenced what you do as, a, oh, as an author? Partly it reminded me of um, an age group that I really felt drawn to and really wanted to write for, and that's that um, sort of 11, 12, 13 mm age group and that really decided for me where I wanted to pitch the other side of summer and it totally changed my manuscript because I'd started out making it a YA manuscript and I had the teenage characters telling the story and then I thought no this is this is the kind of story that I want to write based on my years working at readings and and the kind of readers who who came in and what they were looking for and and you know it unfortunately teenage readers are harder to find Mm. you know they have so many pressures on them at high school and it's um reading for pleasure becomes much more of a challenge later on whereas that sort of 11 12 13 that's when I became a reader for life Mm. I mean those are the books that I remember from my childhood that's when it really really clicked for me that this was my thing Mm. And so I wanted to write for that that reader. Mm. So that was pretty important. 
It's an interesting thing too because we we interviewed like one of our very first podcast interviews, you know, back in the day because you know, we're talking about 170 episodes ago. Um, we interviewed John Purcell, who was the who is a you know obviously the book buyer yeah. at Booktopia, and he at that stage was writing um, fiction under another name, which was you know quite an interesting conversation for us to have because he was telling us about the fact that you know he was there at Booktopia and the representative for his. Uh, book came in to sell his book into Booktopia and he had that experience of having his own book sold sold (laughs) in which you know as he said you know it's it's quite an interesting process and if you haven't listened to that episode um, listeners do have a listen to it because it's really worth the insight but like have you had that experience as well like in the sense that you understand how um, how books are sold into bookshops so Mm. are you sort of like when you're writing your own work do you have that in your head as well? Um, I don't necessarily have that in my head. I do second guess myself way too much based on what I know of the industry. Um, but I have had some, just, I have felt very embarrassed in certain situations, um, (laughs) when people have been holding my book and I've been a bookseller, uh, and I, I suddenly have, have to be the author. That feels so vulnerable to me. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, um, I had one afternoon at readings where I, I approached a customer and she was holding my book and I just freaked. And she said, she said, do you think this would be suitable for my seven-year-old daughter? And instead of saying, yes, oh, that, that's a great choice. And by the way, I wrote that. Would you like me to sign it for you? Like a normal human being would. I proceeded to show her every single book in the shop. That was as not an yours. alternative. <laughs> to buying my book I didn't mention that I had written the one she was holding in her hand I sort of broke out into this cold sweat she was by then holding about 10 of the books I had suggested to her and then right at the end I said oh by the way I did actually write that (laughs) she just looked at me like why didn't you mention that half an hour ago (laughs) I just couldn't I was I was being a bookseller I didn't really know how to stop doing that and and uh, be the author right and have you got uh, better at being the author now have you, with a bit more practice well I've now been full-time full-time authoring for a year mm. and I'm I, I don't know if I'm better because I spend so much time by myself with my dog <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really sure <laughs> all right so while you were at readings you did get involved in the readings children's book prize was the it all sort of began a couple of years ago so how did that like why and how did that come about well readings had wanted to do um a literary fiction prize for years and so that seemed like it was going ahead and so I sort of put up my little hand and said oh well while we're doing that we should probably do a children's prize as well shouldn't we and I think they were not very convinced that that (laughs) be viable. Uh, so I did a lot of research, um, particularly into the Waterstones Prize in the UK. Mm. And that has just become huge and so influential. And I managed to convince Mark Rubo that uh, we could do something just as great and that the industry really, really needed it as well. Mm. Um, and I, I mean, he says I twisted his arm, but it was not hard. He really, he was up for it. <laughs> He was up for it. <laughs> so it was great. And it actually, I think it's, I do think of it as one of the best things that I've done. 
um, because obviously I've left now and it and it it's continued and um, it's it's part of the literary landscape now in Australia and I just think that is so great. Well, I was very excited about it because I was shortlisted for it. I <laughs> so I thought it was genius <laughs> <No> idea. <laughs> Genius yeah, idea. and the fact and is, it is it is an award that makes a difference to sales, and yes. that can't be said for every literary award. So I think that when they're run by an independent bookseller, um, you know, they they do make a difference. Everybody works a bit harder to sell your book, and that's what you want. As an author. That's exactly what you want. And I see that they're now also this year is the inaugural. YA book prize as well, which is fantastic. Yeah, which just released the shortlist, yeah. Which um, has possibly grown out of the very successful Love Oz YA movement, which is also I you're very active with that as well, aren't you? I see you hashtagging all over the place. <laughs> I do. Well, you know, um, Australian YA has been my way in to this country in mm. many ways. Um, I've read it almost nonstop since I got here, uh, so I feel very passionate about it. Um, yeah, so it's been great to be involved in that movement, which kind of grew in a very strange way, but it's become this this really important organization. Oh, it's it's yeah. fantastic. And it's been, you know, it has been very, very successful. I love the way people have jumped on board that and, and uh, really taken it up with a passion. I think it's wonderful to see that. And I, I, it has to make a difference, you know, it, it must. I can only think it must. I think it does. And um, I I think I I was reading recently um, in possibly from Danielle Binks, who's, of course, um, a huge part of that movement, Mm. that um, librarians have been making much more of an effort to put Australian YA, you know, to the front. Um, And I know a lot of libraries have the Love Oz YA posters up. Uh, Certainly the library that I go and work in a lot has, you know, five or six of the posters up. Um, and it does make a, a big difference and hopefully we'll see that reflected um, in the next few years in library borrowings. Um, but it's it's very difficult to compete with the, those big US juggernauts oh, yeah. um, that, that come our way. And, and they're wonderful too. And it's not, it's not as though Love Oz YA um, means to, you know, distract us from reading international fiction. Mm. Um, but in a small market, you do have to look after your own books mm. in a special way. Mm. Yeah. Um, so you also uh, – do you have a writing routine per se? Like you have a family, you've got – you know, you, you work in libraries, you've got all this other stuff going on. Like what is your actual – you know, when do you get the actual writing done? Like you, you mentioned yeah. you're working on something at the moment with your dog. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm all over the writers with dogs movement, as you know. Um, So what, um, you know, are you, do you sort of have a set time each day where you do your stuff or what do you, how do you work it? Yeah, I mean, it feels such a luxurious part of my life at the moment because when I started writing, I had um, a small child and I was heavily pregnant. So that's, that pretty much feels like the worst time to write a book. Mm. Um, but it's often when women do, who've always wanted to write, do start writing because you sort of think, right, well, my life is about to be taken over by these aliens. I better get started on something. Something useful. Uh, yeah. But my children are now 13 and 10 and it is just so different now writing to, to when they were little. I don't feel guilty anymore. I felt when they were little, any time I spent away from them writing, especially when I didn't have a contract, mm. um, felt, you know, I felt the guilt of that. 
Um, but now, you know, they go off to school. And um, so I'm in my little cave until 2.30. And that that's that's what I do. It's this gorgeous, luxurious time. Um, and the only time I leave my desk is to walk the dog. <laughs> Which is a very important part of the writing day. It is. Because it always dislodges some stuck thought or just refreshes you. Or I always come back from a dog walk thinking, what would I do without a dog? How did I ever write books without a dog? Look at us. We are so kindred spirits in this. I hope you people out there are all listening to this. Can I bang on constantly about walking the dog and how important yeah. it is? But anyway. Um, so, all right. So, um, let's finish up today with your three top tips for writers, apart clearly from get yourself a dog. What are your yes. other three top tips for writers? Um, I do think that setting yourself um, word counts works really well I don't necessarily subscribe to um, sit down every single day that is too hard especially for people who have other commitments Um, but if you can just set yourself those small goals you will find yourself with a first draft after you know not very long at all Um, so they work chocolate works too Um, whatever (laughs) you know dangle carrots in front of your nose doesn't matter how much it feels like kindergarten they work (laughs) (laughs) um I always always read while I'm writing I know that a lot of people get worried about that and they think I have I have to stop reading if I am writing a book um but uh, once you've established your voice as a writer which obviously you you know you do after thousands and thousands of words um I think it just inspires you to keep reading other people's work and keep being involved. And, and you actually really need that community around you as well. And so, you know, supporting your fellow writers um, is really important. Um, another, do I need another top tip? I feel like in a terrible position to give a top tip because I'm actually wrestling with this huge first draft at the moment. And it's put me back into that place where I think, uh, should I really be doing this? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing with my life or have I made a terrible mistake? Do you not also feel though, and this would be, I think, a top tip, do you not also feel though that every single writer reaches that point at some point with every single manuscript that they write? Because I know I certainly do. I sit there going, I'm in a hole, I'm never getting out of. And I read their books and I think, hmm, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> just think... You, it's imposter syndrome, and and I know that everybody does suffer from it. But when you suffer from it, you do believe you're the only person who suffers from it, and you admire everyone around you. And your book is just rubbish compared to everyone else's, and it's just terrible. This industry, I don't know why we do it. <laughs> so there's Emily's last top tip for writers: Sorry. don't do God, it. Is that it? Episode. Perhaps we could leave on a positive note. <laughs> I know. I've got another another couple of really quick ones. Okay. If you're on social media too much, get one of those apps where you can block yourself yes. from um, looking at Facebook and Twitter. That's really great. Do you, um, do you use one of those? And um, there's another one as well. It was actually Leanne Moriarty who got me onto doing that. She uses Freedom. Mm. So if it's good enough for Leanne Moriarty... <laughs> So good enough for me. Yes. Um, yes. And and Scrivener. That's that's the 
the new one for me. I've never written a novel on Scrivener before, but I am writing a, a novel with four narrators, and I really don't think that a Word document would have cut it. Ah. With the um, times I have moved chapters around and moved narrators around. Um, so, yeah, it's worth, worth watching the tutorial. <laughs> so you're a new convert, are you? And you're, you're an advocate. Definitely. Yep. There you go. Okay. Well, those are fantastic tips. I think we've I think we've pulled it out of the fire with those last two. That was excellent work. <laughs> Down the spiral. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Emily. If you would like to read more about Emily's books, go to emilygalebooks.com. I will put the link in the show notes um, and also to her Instagram account, which is definitely worth uh, following. And um, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of your Instagram and I love the fact that you are such a um, – such a what should I say um voracious commenter I like the fact that you get involved in everybody else's things as much as you do I think it's I think it's a great tip for new people on social media though like you're very social which is excellent um and of course using freedom to lock yourself out when you need to um so thank you very much for your time Emily and um Emily Gale um and the author of The Other Side of Summer out now in the US thank you so much I hope you enjoyed the interview. I'm Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, and I'm the internationally published best-selling author of two epic adventure series, The Mapmaker Chronicles and The Ataban Cipher. My books are available in Australia, the US, the UK, and other territories, and are perfect for young readers aged nine or older. Find out more about me and my books at alisontate.com. That's A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T dot com. Okay, don't listen to all of Emily's tips. Yes, the publishing industry is hard, but don't give up. Stay with it. I think the big takeaway from this interview is that experience Emily had right at the beginning. She had published one book and thought she should kind of copy that for her next one. She wound up writing a manuscript that she didn't enjoy and that nobody wanted. We've heard so many authors say, write what you love, and that's so true. If you write what you think somebody wants you to write, it just doesn't work. It will sound inauthentic. Always write from the heart and with your own voice. That's the key to connecting with your readers. That and chocolate, of course. Or banoffee pie. You've been listening to Magic and Mayhem. If you'd like to join your own writing community, then sign up to our free weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au. If you'd like to connect with me personally, you can do that on Instagram or Facebook. I'm Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O on Instagram, but most of my posts on Instagram are about art, my art, or head on over to our regular podcast group on Facebook and connect with me there. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. It's free. So You Want to Be a Writer is our weekly regular podcast where we interview authors from all different walks of life who write across all age groups. So if you want to check that out, just search for So You Want to Be a Writer on iTunes. Thanks for listening, everyone.